Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's episode is brought to you by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for all runners. They create a personal shopping experience for both men and women at any stage of their running journey. It's fun. It's easy. I can attest to that. It was certainly easy for me. First, you create your profile at mercurymile.com. Two, you pick a shipping date. And three, you receive and explore a curated box of incredible apparel from your personal stylist that matches your fit style and unique running needs keep what you love send back what you don't free shipping and free returns as always and no subscription required what could be more fun than that try it today mercurymile.com and if you do use use the code rambling runner 10 to save ten dollars on your stylist fee so um, that's the way to use it that's the way to do it i enjoy rambling runner i wouldn't let them sponsor the show if i didn't enjoy the product that's for sure so with that being said Today's episode is with Jessica Tondry. I was really excited to talk to Jessica. I've followed her on Instagram for a while. Her IG handle is JessRunsBless. She is uh, just one heck of an athlete. That's the first thing you notice. She's very strong. Uh, she's a good runner, that's for sure. But what you might not know about Jess, if you just look at the pictures, is there's a lot more than meets the eye in terms of just her running background. She has dealt with some very serious kidney diseases over over the past year. She has dealt with just a litany of running injuries, and we talk a lot about that. You know, while we talk about her running generally, we really dive into the hurdles that she has overcome because a lot of us face, if not those specific hurdles, some hurdles in our life, whether it's running or personal or whatever. And I think it's important to kind of dive into how people are getting over their stuff so maybe we can get over our stuff a little bit better. Uh, Jess is just such a blast to talk to, and I really enjoyed her perspective on all things. So I hope you enjoy this this episode, excuse me, with Jessica Tondry. Hello, Jess, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm excited to be on the show. Oh, me too. I uh, it's been it's been fun following you. I love following you on Instagram because I feel like you're somebody who is um kind of like it's funny because it's like I know it's the exact opposite sometimes of how you feel, but it's like someone who like totally has all their stuff together. Like you're like super runner, super physically fit. You're like you seem like very like seems like an organized person. You got it all figured out, and then you know then. I go and I, it's funny because I'll, I'll see you there and then I'll go read your blog and I'm like, man, like it's so funny. It's like, it's so funny how like looks can be deceiving and it's obvious that you have, um, you know, just all these other things that you've overcome in your life as a runner that I, that I find really interesting. Yes. I'm like a hot mess, but I you know, <laughs> do a really good job of posting on the square. <laughs> now, I, w- I wouldn't go that far. That's for sure. But I think you've overcome certain things that a lot of runners deal with um, and some that people I'm excited to talk to you about a lot of things. That's for sure. I guess the first thing is just going back to your running background. Um, that I think that it, I found this to be very interesting. Um, just when, in your 20s, when you started running, what do you think? I guess let's just let's start right from right from score one. Why did you get like so like heavy, heavy, heavy into running in your 20s? Well, Matt, I actually started running in high school. I didn't run distance then, but. My track coach saw me running with the other cheerleaders, and she was like, I mean, I guess she just saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, 
Um, we used to have to run daily for cheerleading. So I got involved in um, track and short distance then. And it was funny. I used to actually love speed work. And um, that's quite the opposite now. Uh, but then as I went into college and I, I did collegiate cheerleading for a short time, and then I quit that, I um, had never really stopped running. I was always running like two to three miles a day with that. But I began realizing um, almost like just the benefits that being a gymnast and a cheerleader all my whole life had provided to me physically. And that, that once I quit, like, I needed to do something else. I needed to step it up. So having already had the background in, you know, kind of short distance running, I realized, well, hey, I've already, I already know how to do this. Well, let me just take it to the next level. So I began running, like, probably about six miles a day um, right there, like, as a sophomore in college. And I was one of those streakers you hear about. I mean, I, I did not skip a day of running, no matter how hard I partied, no matter how late I stayed up no matter what. And what that eventually did is I would run like, um, you know, 40 plus miles a week. And granted, they weren't huge, long, you know, distance runs, but it was just consecutive running all the time. Um, And it ended up leading to my first overuse injury, which was a lateral collateral ligament tear in my knee. Um, So when you were, if if I'm going to jump in there just real quick, sorry to to cut you off, because I'm curious why, Given your just like your your dance and gymnastic background, and then your kind of your sprinting background in, in high school, why you decided to step it up in terms of mileage as opposed to like be like, hey, I'm going to be like the best 5K runner I can be. <laughs> uh, well, I think honestly, um, I've always been somebody who kind of struggles with anxiety, and uh, and I'm just. I definitely have some OCD tendencies, so I sort of kind of channeled it through running before I even, you know, had heard that running was therapy or anything like that, and I, I mean, I remember being in Austin, Texas, which is where I went to college, and um, or part of college, and I remember hitting the track and just running loops around the track just to count to see how many I could do, and um have that kind of mindset. It's kind of like, um, you know, I could have done a 5k, but instead I almost wanted to challenge myself to do more. Um, and that, and that's really what happened when I transferred from those middle distances to long distance, right after the birth of my daughter. Um, I, I basically went out running just to kind of escape and, uh, it was almost like, how far can I go? You know, I mean, I just, I needed an escape from motherhood. I needed an escape from the postpartum, all those feelings. And, um, and yeah, I guess I could have worked harder at maybe being better, uh, at short distances, but I really needed that escape and I needed the release that running and, you know, that, you know, you hear it all the time, that endorphin feeling, that drug feeling, I needed that and I needed it daily. Um, so it just kind of got to a point where you'd think I'd be at, you know, running ultras right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but my body doesn't tend to cooperate um, as well as my mind. So. And when you were doing the six miles a day for this extended period of time, was was the payoff the process itself? Or did you have any running goals alongside just the daily, you know, make sure you get your run in? Um, back then, the 
the reasoning kind of behind it was um, I'm, I'm very much um, somebody who, who craves structure and order. Although I understand the benefit of change and I know that we change daily. Um, I, I wanted to run that six miles a day. I actually did it with a friend and we, um, <clears throat> we did it almost, I mean, obviously for the physical payoff, we wanted to be able to eat what we wanted, drink what we wanted and not change the way we really looked on the outside. But I also did it, um, so that, uh, it was, it was completely internal. There were relationship struggles. There were, um, you know, just school stuff going on. And for me, it was just a way, um, and it's sometimes what I tell people when I'm trying to encourage them to get running, you don't have to run races. You don't have to be, um, elite, but you can fall in love with just the process of running. And, and that's what happened at that point. Um, yeah. And did you talked a little bit about this in an Instagram post where you, you kind of talked about the fear of failure in a way and how you listened to one of uh, Tina Muir's podcasts with, was it yes. Dr. Brett McCabe? Yes. And it, like for you, it was like, you, you love that episode. It, sound, it sounds like for some of the same reasons that you're mentioning now. Yes. And I think, um, it's, it's long rooted. Um, I'm from San Antonio and I always joke that I perform like the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and not that they haven't won a ton of championships, but, we used to always joke that they choked under pressure. And I tend to, not saying that I haven't had my successes, I have, but ever since I was a kid and I started competitive athletics and competitive cheer and dance very, very early. Um, and it's almost like I either, you know, lost the competition or messed up before I even began. And so that mental struggle has been with me since I was a I mean, a very small child, probably eight, nine years old. Um, and it's funny that you would think new sport, something else, um, but it's still there, you know. Um, and what's funny is I always, I, you know, I, I coach track and I, um, I, I see young kids and I always tell them that you don't have to be a natural to be good. Um, it's a lot of times uh, there's so many things that can be taught with running and with other sports, but, um, but even with me, like cheerleading and gymnastics came very naturally to me, the way that running comes for some of the most, you know, amazing runners. I, I always say I was better on my hands than I am on my feet, but I think that even knowing that I was very good, um, it almost, for me, the mental, I would I don't know. I just could not get through um, the mental pressure. And, it, and so it wasn't until just recently, especially with running and kind of have having a little bit of a, actually a long uh, setback uh, that I've really started to focus on my mental game because I realized that m more than my legs quitting or my lungs quitting or even my body aching, it's, it's my mind that, that will quit in the race. So so I, I do. I, I look for mental um, books, self-help. I look for mental podcasts. I look for advice from other runners who are very successful. And I know so much of it stems from within. And so it's an area that I, I need to work on. Um, but I also know that other runners, you know, have the same challenge that I have. So it's definitely something I wanted to put out there. So people know I yeah. deal with it too. 
I hear you. And I, I think it's been pretty well chronicled in, in some of the books that I've read that for all of us, that the, that the hurdle, the final hurdle in terms of reaching our, our full potential, whether that's long term or, or like in tomorrow's race or, you know, whether it's short term or long term, really does come down to the head. But at the same time, you bring up a good point that for you, this is kind of um, been been tied to your running kind of ever since the beginning. It sounds like from like from a distance running standpoint in terms of trying to make sure you maximize you know, your capabilities. And also it kind of goes the other way where you're able to maximize your abilities by running because it kind of gives you some of the clarity and you're able to, to channel, as you put it, your, the OCD and anxiety side. Yeah. Um, it, which also brings me to the point where like you had your first overuse injury. Uh, and par- pardon me, you said it before, what was the injury again? Um, I tore my lateral collateral ligament in my knee, which is a, a rare look or a more rare knee injury. And actually it stemmed from not listening to my iliotibial band problems, um, which I'm sure other runners out there that might be listening might be thinking, oh, my IT band hurts too, and I'm just foam rolling it. Um, but my head got into the point where um, that I, right at the IT band where it connects to the knee, that ligament tore. Um, and it was basically, it wasn't that I didn't feel it. I would run every day feeling it. I just assumed that it was normal. Like it was just, you know, it was normal for people that, you know, never stopped running, which at that di- that time in my life, um, in my mid twenties, I, I never took a day off, you know, I never did. And when I saw the surgeon that, that operated on me, he was just like, I mean, you know, I like to think you're a smart person, but <laughs> most people would give it a rest a little bit, you know, just a little rest could have gone a long way probably with this, injury because it was indeed overused and not acute. Um, and I was like, well, there you go. I'm a runner. We don't typically, um, when, when somebody tells us to stop running, you know, we just slow down. So speak for yourself, Jess. I stop every time. I'm like the laziest runner you'd ever meet in your life. <laughs> but um, I don't so- think so. I follow you too. And you are quite the amazing amateur. it's all it's all fiction wow. Jess it's all fiction just <laughs> making it up as I go along um no so when you were after you had your procedure whoever so after your surgeon did did the work how long were you off your feet for and how did you handle I guess the mental and emotional side now that you didn't have running as an outlet um I had about six weeks you know of you know I was off, you know, I couldn't walk. I was on crutches and um, rehabbing at physical therapy, um, you know, getting the opportunity to um, do some rotations on the bike and really working my um, uh, vastus medialis muscle. It's the inner part of your quad to try to strengthen some of the imbalances that I had um, between my iliotibial bands and the other side of my leg. Um so it, it wasn't that it was bad for me, but I honestly wasn't incorporating strength training. I um, really wasn't doing any other sort of exercise or um, just anything else that was beneficial for my lifestyle outside of running. So I, I think I did mention this um, on my Instagram, that at that point in my life, I was just running. And so it was the first time in my life that I basically had to take a break. And, um, and it was, it was tough. It was tough 
um, dealing with that me, like me dealing with that me and others around me and family um, having to deal with that me as well. Uh, but I do think that by the end, by the time I had eventually recovered and was able to at least do like the elliptical and things like that, just getting to be able to sweat, um, even walking, you know, I started to realize, you know, how often runners can take running for granted. So you, you sort of get to a point where you're, you know, you start to make bargains with running, um, once you can start doing it again and you start thinking, oh my gosh, well, okay, if I can just come back from this injury and just run, you know, a 10 minute mile, I'll be happy. You know, I mean, and that's never, it never in your psyche that never lasts that long, but you tell yourself that as you're coming back from injury. And I think it helps, um, to cope. I think it helps with changing your attitude to, to one of gratitude and to, um, and I mean, you're always wanting to be better that I think Brett McCabe touched on that in the podcast that, that we mentioned, um, that's just the natural cycle of, um, human nature, whether you're a runner or any other athlete or even just a person. Um, so, so yeah. And you, and you mentioned that you said it was maybe the best thing that ever happened to me, um, was going through that process. Um, and obviously you touched on a couple of things right there, but that's a pretty, that's a pretty dramatic statement. So what about that were you able to, learn from and take forward, uh, you know, in the rest of your life, whether that's running or non-running related? Well, I think having uh, that moment of uh, having had, having to stop what I loved doing, basically, I mean, it's basically signified failure to me. You know, I failed, therefore I'm injured, therefore now I have to rest and recover. Um, so when I had that break. I had the opportunity to look at um, my strengths, my weaknesses. And, you know, you've heard it before probably, but it's so true. But from failure can only come success. So if I don't have, sometimes, you know, I look at my ups and downs of running and I think, oh, my gosh, I've had so many injuries. I've had, you know, lots of disappointment. Um, but I have also, from that, been able to really cherish the moments of success, the moments of victory, those, you know, few and far between PRs. Um, but if I, you know, if I hadn't had these breaks and these times of letting my body heal, then I would not, um, I really don't think that I would have been running for 20, 20 or so odd years that I have been. I think it would have, I think I would have not only physically had to stop, but I think I would have hit one of those points of, you know, just I'm tired of this, you know, I'm over it. And, and I really haven't had that happen for me. So now which of your injuries was the most, was the hardest to come back from both physically and mentally? Cause you've had, like you said, you had a bunch. Goodness, I've had a lot. Um, I would say that most of my stress fractures have been the hardest to come back from. I've had, um, uh, bilateral tibial stress fractures. I've had a hip femoral neck hip stress fracture and um, a second metatarsal foot fracture that went all the way through my foot. Um, so and it, it's funny because you have one and you think as soon as you get it, this is the worst. And then you have the next and you're like, oh, no, 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 this is the worst. But, um, but I will say, you know, having like with my foot fracture, I mean, I literally – was booted in, in crutches um, for 11 weeks and then 
you know, wasn't able to resume running, you know, for a couple of weeks thereafter. And my foot still wasn't the same. And, um, and anytime, even now that I get a twinge of pain in that same foot, I'm always fearful that I'm going to refracture it around that same site. Um, so, you know, it's hard to pinpoint what's, you know, what was the worst. I think I've had a lot of serious injuries. Um, just this past year, I had a partial plantar plate tear in my foot and, um, and that one wasn't fun. Um, but I, you know, again, I listened to the doctor, I got booted, I listened and I took time off. Um, and just listening to my body lately, um, with regard to these injuries has been so much, uh, I guess just so much better for, not only my mindset, but also just for, you know, my running now, like I'm, you know, I'm running better than I have in about four years, four or five years. So, um, I really think it's key to let your body heal as much as, you know, no one wants to hear that, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, that, that brings up the question, right? What's your plan moving forward to remain healthy? Cause obviously you're a very physically fit person and you love working out. And I mean, it's incredibly frustrating, even with like little injuries, never mind these big suckers. Uh, well, uh, I've been working with Susan Logan. Her IG handle is at runner Logan and she is just, she's great. Yes. I was interrupt you. She's great. I love, I, know. I love what she's doing. Yes. And she has been my coach now for, for several months and, it's amazing that she took me on because even she agreed that I am quite a piece of work. Um, but she's just, she's just such an amazing person, athlete. Um, she's just great family values. I th- I'm, I'm talking about her for a second and then I'll get to the question, but I just really think that it's great that, you know, she could look at my situation and realize that as a professional hobbyist, um, I still had goals and, um, and yet an Olympic qualifier like her was like, bring it on. I can help you be your best you. And, um, and that's definitely what we're trying to do with me right now. Um, and I think with 2018, um, gosh, about a quarter underway, if not more then I, right now we are looking at more of a quality year than a quantity year. I am, um, racing rebel mount charleston outside of vegas um in about four weeks and my goal there is just i'm hoping to pr which for me is a sub 145 uh and when i say pr it's funny because i I guess i can technically still call it that but my pr is from you know just a little over five years ago on my half and it almost doesn't even feel like it was mine anymore, you know, when it's so far ago that you, you know, you just haven't, you know, it just, it just, I know exactly what you mean. Cause I still wonder if I can like quote my PR in the half marathon. I think mine was, oh man, I think mine was seven years ago. I know. And I feel like, I, I, I don't know what the expiration date is on a PR. And it I, needs to be maybe think, its own podcast. And honestly, I don't think that there is an expiration date on PRs, but I honestly think as you as a person, and when you're talking with your coach, it's always why they ask you for your most recent data. But I really think that um, you really start to question yourself when your PRs start to grow farther and farther and farther farther away from you. As an athlete, even an amateur athlete, you start to look at yourself and think, will I ever get there? Have I peaked? Um, and some of those mental questions that, you know, I've, I've brought up are, are 
that I mentioned that I kind of struggle with, but um, Susan's really been great at helping me realize that, um, that I don't need luck when it comes to race day, that if I am prepared, if conditions allow, then I will be ready, you know? So um, she's really tried to change my focus to believing in myself um, and believing in the training that she set for me. And she actually just like got onto me this past, past week for actually running faster than the prescribed paces for my two mile repeats. Um, which, you know, I love that, that I have a coach that actually, um, you know, can see beyond the numbers when I'm looking at my Garmin data thinking, oh man, I nailed it. I went 15 seconds faster, you know, and, she, and yet she's there pulling me back, reining it in and basically giving me a slap on the wrist like a mom, you know, like, nope, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to believe in my plan, believe in yourself and follow it, you know, so I have that same thing. I I have that same feeling of like when I knock a knock a workout out of the park to the point where I I exceed the goals. Um, then my coach puts forward. I I view it as like, you know, like hey, look how good I am. Uh-huh. You know, you thought I was only capable of this, but oh boy, little did you know I could do this. Exactly <laughs> you know? right. It's like this sense of pride attached to it. Exactly. Um, but you're right. Like I I I never think about it in terms of like stick to the plan. Yeah. I view the plan as something that like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I did all of these better? Yeah, like I can show you, and then we can maybe make my paces faster. You know, but then <laughs> yes, <laughs> and she's like, I'm the one looking at your lactate threshold. I'm the one looking at your VO2 max. Like I know where you are fitness wise. Not you. I mean, not that I don't, but, you know, as a professional coach, like, she clearly knows how to write plans. And, obviously, I do not know how to implement them very well. So. Yeah, and it sounds like she's probably much more focused on the long term exactly. versus, versus I know, as runners, and uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, I can often get way too caught up in the short term, which is why I want to coach, because I know that left to my own devices, that will happen every time. Exactly. And then – you mentioned what else I had on deck for 2018 or goals. Um, and I really, the only other race that I have planned for this year is the Chicago full marathon, uh, in October. And that is a memorable race for me because that's where my current standing full marathon PR is. Um, so I'm hoping as far as goals for that, um, I'm hoping to PR my full in um, October, and I'll be working with Susan for that as well. Um, you know, I, I really, really want to qualify for Boston. Um, it's been a long-standing goal, gosh, for years. Um, but when I first contacted Susan and we talked about my goals and, you know, just kind of becoming faster, she um, she let me know that she wanted me to have some really good races under my belt before I try to attack that. Um, so that's why we're hoping that at Revel I PR my half or, or at least, um, come close. And then when I get to Chicago and I run that full, um, that, you know, PRing my full, which at this point is only at 357. Um, it's pretty lofty to think that I would be Q. Um, and not that she doesn't think that I have it in me, but she just doesn't want me to try to, you know, do a 30-minute PR um, in October when 
haven't run a sub 357 or even a sub four since uh, 2013. So, so we're trying to make my goals attainable and help them kind of build my confidence and then um, shoot for, you know, the even bigger stretch goal. Right. And especially for a marathon, I can see how that would be tough just because you haven't had like, you know, two or three years straight of consistent mileage, which seems to be like just as important for a marathon as like the tempo, you know, your tempo workout next Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. Well, there you go. It seems like another issue, not issue, but another goal for 2018 could just be just from a health perspective. um, You've been pretty open about um, your kidney issues in the past. So I guess if you could just give us like a quick, um, quick background on that and kind of where, where it stands now and how, and how everything's going. Sure. Um, I wrote a long post about this. So if people are super curious, they can either check my blog or check my post from about a week ago. But, um, but really, um, I, back in about 2014, I started, um, having some major declines in my running I also started feeling extremely fatigued and um, I had some abnormal blood tests just from like routine physicals and stuff like that. And um, my doctor never really mentioned anything outside of um, that. I had iron induced anemia and, uh, and so I got put on some uh, prescription iron pills and went on my merry way. Well, this doesn't really even have to do with my running performance. It's more of just like my health and body and physical well-being, but um, this all still con- kind of continued on until um, in early 2016, I went in for my routine physical. So this is my third blood test um, that my doctor should have been looking at, and it was actually an interim physician that was filling in for my doctor who had been on maternity leave, and he asked me, like, who was my nephrologist and who was dealing with my kidney issues, and I was just blown away. I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, based on your GFR levels, and I'm going to throw out some things that probably don't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but um, he said, based on your GFR levels and your bun and your creatinine levels, like you are in stage three kidney disease and you should clearly be seeing a nephrologist. So fast forward to like two weeks. That must have just like, that must have like knocked you off your chair. Yes, I was like, give me a copy of those labs so that I can, my OCD self can Google all everything about kidney disease. And then I started doing like that genealogy stuff you do for your family to find out if it was like, you know, if somebody in our family had kidney disease. And I mean, it was seriously like the worst. I mean, it was just a a really bad year physically. And, um, you know, just the stress of thinking, oh my gosh, you know, you just think the worst. So uh, I ended up seeing my nephrologist and um, we ended up, uh, blood tests, actually a ton of blood tests because he just could not believe the, um, like what was on the paper. So, um, but again, it indicated that I had stage three kidney disease. So he, um, had me do a, um, not very invasive, but it's it's a kidney biopsy where they go in and take a piece of your kidney and they look at it and, and then they tell you why or what is going on inside. So, I had that done. This again was in 2016 and, um, and, and it, all it really showed was that, um, I, they they aren't sure if it's, whether it's from exercise or 
some sort of medication, although I I don't take a ton of um, Advil or anything like that. But basically, it just showed that um, there was something called acute ischemic tissue um, necrosis, and it was basically renal cell death happening to my kidneys. Um, So we still don't really know why. There's no concrete reasoning to why it's going on. But we do monitor it every three months, and my levels have been pretty stable. Um, They aren't getting better, but they're not getting worse. So, I mean, he's completely okay with me still running, still um, exercising. I just have adapted my diet a little bit, and I've also – I just have to really pay attention to um, some physical things that happen to me sometimes, especially during intense training. Like, I'll get – excessive bruising because my red blood cell count will be going down. Um, I can also be extremely tired and this all kind of goes hand in hand with anemia as well. But a lot of times when these things are going on with my body, I also know that my kidneys are probably functioning at a lower level than they should be. So it gives me a sign to say, Hey, maybe I should, you know, check in with my nephrologist. Um, just because, you know, obviously my body's always going to be thinking about, um, taking care of physical functions and just staying alive, um, getting blood to my muscles over, you know, my running performance. And sometimes that priority of what, what the body is really supposed to do can get over overridden by me when I think that my body is supposed to be running a specific pace, a specific mileage. So it's really all the more. Yeah. I mean, shoot, shoot all the more reason to like take it slow. Yes. And, I mean, it just puts it in perspective, whereas, you know, five years ago I was, you know, just, you know, running, like, just guns out every run, um, really didn't have a problem attaining some of the paces that are hard for me now. But now when I achieve some, you know, small victories, it's just, to me, just I, I'm amazed at what my body can do, especially when, you know, my kidneys are functioning at 50%. So, you know, I, I'm grateful, and, and every run that I go on, bad or good, I'm always thinking, you know, there's there's people who need a kidney, there's people who don't have one, and there's so many people who struggle worse than I do, and, and I still get to do this. So, no matter the pace. I want to take a quick break from my conversation with Jessica to just talk about Mercury Mile for a second. So, ever since I started having Mercury Mile as a sponsor of the show... People have been using the promo code, and recently, people are starting to get the boxes that they've ordered, and I've gotten several messages uh, on Instagram, and some people who are actually tagging me on their Instagram posts with their Mercury Mile box, and universally, people are very happy with this product, and that's great to see, because not only am I happy with it, but you know I wouldn't have them as a sponsor on the show if I didn't feel good about it, and it's so nice to see that you do too, and the one great thing about Mercury Mile is that if you don't agree, shoot, just send it all back. There's nothing, there's really no risk, and because if you use the Rambling Runner 10 promo code, you save 10 bucks on the stylus fee, um, you're just, a, it, it really is a no-lose proposition, but the fact of the matter is you're going to get great stuff, you're going to be able to pay for pay for it in a pretty cheap price, and ultimately, you're going to like what you get. And if you're like me, you're super busy. You do not have the time to go searching around for state-of-the-art running gear. Shoot, I'm just trying to keep my head above water with my chores and the dishes and getting my kids' lunches ready, never mind finding out what is like 
the, the, the in style of compression pants or whatever, whatever running gear people are trying on. So, um, hope you give it a shot. Rambling Runner 10 is the promo code. And now back to my conversation with Jess. So what does your diet look like and how much of it is, um, based on your kidney issues versus just general, like healthy eating or, you know, trying to eat healthy or, if you're like well, me, falling off the wagon, eating healthy. <laughs> well, I think the biggest um, misconception about me is I think people think that I eat like extremely, extremely rigidly, and and I um, and while I definitely eat like I would say eighty-five, fifteen as far as clean versus not clean, um, my diet is, I mean, overwhelmingly healthy for sure. Um, but I have also eaten this way probably since I left my parents' home, you know, out of high school. Um, I became very interested in nutrition. I also became very interested in, um, like, feeding my body, uh, like, you know, to live rather than living to eat. Um, and so I started focusing on nutrition 20-plus years ago. So I definitely am not one of those people who's, oh, I'm going to try this this month and I'm going to do this this month and change this up. Um, it's really for me just been about consuming mostly, um, I guess you could say like clean whole foods. Um, but I do eat meat. Um, I have to watch my protein intake now that I know that I have kidney disease as much as I love protein. And I believe it's like the building block of muscle and keeping muscle and growth and all that. I have to keep, um, my meals, um, at, you know, at or around 20 grams of protein um, per meal, mainly just because I, I have to be eating what my body can digest and what my kidneys can end up processing as waste. And so therein lies um, a little bit of a difference from what I used to do. I used to consume way more protein than I do now. Um, and that was, you know, probably about about two years ago, I made the change, and it still doesn't mean I don't consume a lot of protein in the day. I just space my meals out um, so that I consume a little bit, um, you know, probably five times a day. So, and I always tell people when they're struggling, like, with their nutrition or they want to do macros, but they're a mom and they don't have time or, a, a you know, working dad or something, and they don't have time to weigh their food and stuff like that. Not that that's not for some people because – that's great if it is. I've never been able to to actually – I'm like a dog, you know. Like if food is out, I want to eat it, you know. Um, I don't have time. <laughs> yes, to- I, I absolutely know. I, right. every, anyone who's ever seen me eat knows knows that I know that. That's for sure. Right. And I don't want to sit there and, like, portion it out, put it on a scale, then plug it into an app, and then eat it. Like it just – it just isn't going to be something that I consistently do. So I always tell people that I definitely intuitively eat. And I think there's a numbers game happening in my head. So, and this is just, again, from just eating this way for years, I will typically think about, I already know my protein needs per snack and meal. So I'll basically plan out my, you know, that I'm going to have, whether it be eggs and turkey sausage for breakfast. Um, You know, I already know that there's 20 plus grams or 20 grams of protein there. If I'm going to have a protein shake at my snack, I already know that I'm going to get another 23 grams there. If I'm, And then I know that at lunch I'm going to have a portion of meat. So I'm going to have fish or chicken or something like that that will also provide me with another 20 grams of protein. So I can basically – I start with the, the with the protein, 
and I count, like, I almost count that up in my head, and every day it's not that different except for maybe the variation of protein changes. And then um, I kind of backfill. I backfill my day. So I will eat most of my complex carbs in the morning or around, around my workout, and then I lessen them as the day goes on. And my husband and I have been trying something where we basically eat um, – low carb or basically no carb at dinner. Um, and I've, I've merely been doing that since January simply because I had put on five pounds in December and I wasn't real happy about it, but it's just amazing that just without even having to to really count everything every day, just, it's almost like a puzzle, you know, you know, your protein, you put, you know, that that's what you're going to eat. And then you backfill it with healthy vegetables, um, healthy complex carbs. And, and then, I mean, you're not hungry. You're really not that hungry. And it, and it satisfies those cravings. Um, so I don't know. And I'm always playing around with like, you know, healthy desserts, healthy protein desserts, um, or just just stuff like that to kind of help kick the, the sweet tooth. But that doesn't mean that um, I didn't snag a Nestle's Crunch from my daughter's Easter basket or two or three. Um, <laughs> it's not like I'm not human. Like I do, I do eat um, other stuff, and I have a glass of wine or two, usually per weekend. Um, and I'm not so rigid that I, I live like that. Um, my, right. my family would hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing when you have kids, right? Because, you, you know, it's like you have to almost fit your diet around what your kids are eating unless you want to be cooking all day uh, to, yes. to, to create all these things because they can be so finicky. Um, I'm not saying that anything new here uh, mm-hmm. to any parent, but it can be tough. It's easy, let me put it this way. It's easy to rationalize a bad diet if your kids are having finicky eating issues and First. you're just like, screw it. I guess we're all having chicken nuggets again. Yes. Um, yes. So, so see, I'm coming at diet from a very different perspective than you. Basically it's the opposite of like, for you, like having a day that's like a really bad eating day. Not, I don't mean bad, like, you know, it's not tragic. I mean, it's like if you don't eat well during a day, right? So maybe it's like Christmas and you like pick out on like all, all different kinds of foods that you wouldn't normally eat or whatever. Like for you, that would be few and far between. For me, that's fairly consistent. So with that being said, I always wonder for people like yourself, if you, when you have one of those days, because like, like you said, you're not a robot, you do have those days. What does it feel like the day after for you? Because like, I know what I eat really healthy i can notice it the day after like do you have the same situation like if you eat very unhealthy like do you notice it the day after oh for sure i mean i feel sluggish and it almost takes like three or four days to rebound from a day like that and i don't even mean just physically like looking in the mirror because usually people that don't eat that way their stomachs don't handle it very well and i mean that in every way you can absolutely imagine so just i'm gonna not go there but so you will. If you want to go there, listen to the Funny Stories podcast, okay. the Mailing Runner okay. podcast, and you can get all of those sorts of information and tactics. Well, right. But so you will obviously physically look a little more bloated and just that, even in your face, um, just from eating that way. And also, it just takes a little while for um, just everything in your body to reset back to, to the way that it's normally. So, and I'm sure that's the same way that it is for you, but, I mean, I'm sure – that people get accustomed to eating a certain way, and then anytime that you throw a curveball there, um, the body basically says, whoa, 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 we're not used to this. Oh, my, like, I'll do that when I go home to see my parents, and I love them to death, but, I mean, they love them some mashed potatoes and butter. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to not be nice and not eat my mom's mashed potatoes, but whenever I do that, I'm like, oh, man, my stomach is so mad at me. 
You know, it's just, it's just not, it's just not. And she's making like real potatoes and like, you know, this isn't like instant mashed potatoes. So it's just, uh, I think it, it not only takes a little while for your body to physically come back, but it also takes a little while for you, um, from a performance standpoint, um, my runs will struggle. My workouts in the gym will struggle. Oh my gosh. Seeing me try to do an ab workout after a big meal day, the day before it's not pretty. I'm like, Oh gosh, I feel like a slug. Can't even do a sit up. So but, well, that's interesting though. That you, how you bring it up is so interesting because once you basically set up your diet or your eating plan or however you want to phrase it in a way that you've like been consistent for a long period of time, it sounds like you don't even want to have those unhealthy days. So it almost becomes like this self-fulfilling momentum. Yes. And it's so funny because when I first met my husband, he wasn't like as, I mean, he ate super, super healthy, but he was almost on the opposite end of the spectrum, like only chicken and veggies, you know, just super um, boring. Like it was really boring food so that he could look a certain way. And he met me and he was like, oh my gosh, you're like, you know, you, you eat like dessert and you like give in to temptation. And I'm like, well, this is my like allowance, you know, like I eat all day really, really good. And then, you know, I 20% of my diet, I can, you know, have, have this. And, um, and so we've kind of just adopted that. And it's also been a really great um, way to raise our children in that, um, you know, we don't want them to think that broccoli is bad or you, that you, you know, chicken and grilled chicken and asparagus and things like that are things that, um, like other kids, like, oh, I don't want to eat that. Um, we want them to look at that like, oh, my gosh, this is the stuff that's going to help you grow tall. And then, you know, when we eat after dinner or whatever, if you want a scoop of Rocky Road or you want a brownie, um, absolutely have your treat um, because that's life. You know, that's that's how you're going to go out into the world after you leave us. And we want you to know that for the most part, we want you to eat at your own home and eat at a restaurant where you pick a sort of, you know, healthy option and then it's fine if you have um something afterwards or you know an extra drizzle of dressing or something you know i just i feel like so often people get caught in the trap of extremes and that's why nothing sticks that's a good point i know but it's so funny right because every i think the thing that gets lost with diets is that it's so personal because not only is your body different than other people's bodies, but your, your, your personality has to match a diet. I feel like that's something that gets lost, right? Like if you're someone who's OCD or someone who's very, very regimented, um, and it can just basically like can lean into a schedules thing. It almost sounds like your husband was, I don't know, but it sounds like, like if he can eat just like broccoli and chicken all the time, you know what I mean? Hey, God love him. But like that work, might work, that might work for his personality, not just his, um, you know, his, his goals, right? Yeah. We have other people who might be like, hey, man, if I have the same, you know, dinner, like, twice in a week, I'm going to go nuts. Like, I need more variety than that. So you have to, like, figure out plans that work for you. So um, I totally get what you're saying. It's definitely one of those things where it's, struggle, it's a struggle for me, I feel like, because I'm in a routine of the opposite. So it's like my default is usually the wrong way to go, and all the intellectualizing around it doesn't really help. It's a matter of just getting out changing. But I appreciate you bringing up your kids because I want to talk about that for a second. Not your kids specifically, but you're, you're, you're coaching elementary school kids. So what's that like? I guess, why did you get into it and why are you sticking with it? It sounds like you're having a blast. Oh, it's such a great program that we do up here in the DFW area. Um, it is the Trophy Club Roanoke 
track and field association. And what's really neat about it is it's not a super long season. It's like six weeks long every spring, but it is a great um, way for kids of all ages in elementary school. It goes kinder through fifth um, to basically be introduced to this sport. Um, you know, I, I remember being in middle school and I never did track and field in middle school because I was very intimidated by it. And I think, um, that I'm not alone in that. I think some kids, um, whether they like running or not, they see a hurdle and they think, oh my gosh, that that's what track and field is and I can't do it. Or they see the high jump or the long jump and they think, you know, well, I can't, I can't do that. I've never done that. And those other kids look like they can do it. And so this is a great way um, that we get to introduce not just the running, but also the field aspect to, um, to, kids of all these ages. And the way that I got into it was because my daughter, um, she's now in third grade, but when she was in kindergarten, they were just starting up this program and they needed um, some running coaches. And obviously I am. And so I said, absolutely would love to help. And, um, and I got to coach her team and I got to coach them all the way up through last year um, when she was in second grade. And it was pretty cool because I got most of the girls came back each year. I mean, really, there was only like one or two that might have dropped that would drop off and then I would get some new ones. But it was really neat to see those girls um, like learn to love running and uh, and also just like kind of see something in themselves, kind of like my track coach saw in me that they hadn't seen in themselves before. Because the talent level varies, you know, with when you're dealing with kids between five and you know, five and 12, some kind of have it and some don't. Um, but it's funny that through that six weeks, you can teach kids the mechanics of running and you can show them the, like the possibility that they see that, you know, maybe they're not the best one out there, but man, they are so much better than they were when they started. And that feeling of, of like, I'm, I'm better than I was that we're all looking for just even in our adult lives. Um, it's so great to see on these young kids faces who are, you know, just obviously always looking for a confidence boost and to find something that they're good at. So um, it's just neat to be able to try to teach that. And now, well, my daughter is a competitive cheerleader. Um, funny how that worked. Um, so she is training like five days a week. So she didn't get to do a track this year, but I still wanted a coach. And lucky for me, I have a kindergarten son this year. So he, uh, even though he's doing baseball, he was like, I want to do track too. So, um, and he said, and I want you to coach me, mommy, just like you did Carly, my daughter. And I said, well, absolutely. Like, I'll let him know. I'm going to do it again. So for as long as he wants to do it, I'll continue to volunteer. And then, you know, who knows, even when they're in middle school, I may continue to, to, to volunteer my time because I just love to, to see that light go off in these kids' eyes. Um, so. There you go. Sounds like a blast. And you guys have quite a running community down there in the DFW. I was actually going to run the Dallas 5K over Thanksgiving, but I had a uh, transportation issue. Actually, my brother-in-law and his young family live in Rockwall, oh, um, yeah. just east of Dallas. Yes, I know exactly where that's at. Um, yeah, we have a really awesome community here. It's actually pretty cool because actually the running and the tri community kind of overlap. But um, it's so funny because everybody knows everybody and then you meet one person and they introduce you to another person. So, um, I actually run with a group called the Lake Grapevine Runners and Walkers and they're, um, about 15 minutes away from me on Lake Grapevine. 
and we meet once a week and we do our long runs together. Um, oftentimes, I mean, they meet every week. I'm just the oftentimes person. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, they are an awesome group. If you ever come back out this way, you'll have to come run with us um, over there on the lake. And then what's really cool too is I've kind of um, – through them and through Instagram, actually, there's some awesome Dallas runners. I've um, been introduced to Tri Shop, which is a really cool running store in Plano, running Tri store in Plano. And I know you're going to have, like, Carlos, the runner, I think. You're going to talk to him tomorrow. And, like, I am. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, like, he's big involved with um, with Raul and Tri Shop. And um, there's some other huge, like, I mean, I'm talking, like, elite runners that go run over there. And, um and it's just really cool that the, the running community and tri community, they kind of collide and you can have amateur runners like myself um, run with, you know, these just amazing runners and just everybody just meets. And I actually just went to a, a meetup last or about two weeks ago over there. And I was just amazed. There were like a hundred runners for a Tuesday night social run. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculously awesome, but um, you just don't see that a lot. Um, and, you know, it's just so cool. It's just a testament to show that um, even though we're a whole lot of concrete, Dallas uh, still loves to get out there and run. And it really is inspiring to see those elite-level runners up close. I was on a track uh, – I was saying – I was on a running team, a running uh, group, I guess is a better way of putting it, um, several years ago. And we would train in the mornings over at Brown University in Providence, which is where I live. And – one one morning, it was crazy. So Kim Smith, I don't know if you know her. She was a professional runner for a number of years, recently retired. Um, but she was, like, an unbelievable runner, went to multiple Olympics, was one of the best runners in the world for an, ex- for an extended period of time. So it was her and two of her running buddies, um, who are also pros, did a track workout while we were doing a track workout. So it was like I would be running, and then it sounded like a herd of horses <laughs> would be passing me on the right. Like I'd be running, like, you know, what I thought was running fast, I'd be running like 400 meter repeats or maybe 600 meter repeats. And then they would come thundering by me. And it was so funny. It's like, they sounded so loud because they were running so fast. Like the wind sounded so loud and they would run by and, you know, Kim Smith, if you've ever seen Kim Smith, she weighs all of like 90 pounds or something, but it was like, it sounded like I was getting passed by a motorcycle. Oh my gosh. That is such a funny story because it sounds like I was one of my elite, I mean, she's a, she's a Texas elite, but she's amazing. She's an awesome runner, one of my best friends. Her name's Jessica Smith, and actually her daughter is kind of one of the ones that's inspired me with organ donation because she had a liver and a kidney transplant. But my friend, Jessica, her mother, um, she is one of the first runners I met when I got to Dallas. And a mutual friend of ours was like, oh, you two Jessicas should meet. Y'all are just both amazing runners. I just think it would be great. You should go run together. And this is even back when I was a little bit faster before any of my health issues or anything. And I was like, okay, great. So we kind of met up, and I was like, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. She runs like, you know, 16, 17-minute 5Ks. I I mean, I'm lucky to get, you know, sub-22. Um, and and she's just amazing like that. And one day her and this other um, Olympic marathon qualifier, Colleen Casey, they invited me to run on the track with them to do their speed work with them. And just like you, I was like, I mean, honored and flattered that they invited me. And then when I got there, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that was just a warm-up. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm already, I'm already 
heaving, you know, and then they just kept slapping me over and over and over and over again. And I mean, it was comical because we're all friends and we can laugh. I mean, not laugh. They did not laugh at me, but, um, I laughed about it and then we just, but it's so, it's neat how you can like be amongst talent like that and still, you know, just do your thing and everybody respects everybody and, you know, everybody's a runner. Like, you know, it's just, they are, no matter yeah. what. But it's so it's so inspiring to see what people are capable of. I think that was like for me like this isn't one of the points I thought we we're going to talk about in this podcast. But I think it's, it's interesting though because when you see it close up, it reminds me of like you hear these stories of like these five year old or six year old kids who get into like say like the piano, and then like you know by the time they're twelve or thirteen, they're like they're savants, and they like oftentimes you'll hear them say that like the turning point for them was like sitting on the piano bench next to an expert. And seeing like what piano actually looked, sounded, and felt like at the highest level, and I feel like I had that same experience when I run or see these elites work out in person. And I think that's like one of the cool parts about my job. I work at Providence College, is actually not even related to the job itself. Is that the head cross, the head track coach at PC is a professional coach for Emily Sisson and Molly Huddle and, wow. a, and a bunch of other runners as well. Um, Caitlin Gray Goodman as well, who's my running coach, but. Emily, um, Emily and Molly do track workouts together once the weather gets warm. So they'll be out there pretty soon. I can't wait. So they'll be out there doing a track workout. And I'll, like, be in, like, the little kitchenette in my office, like, with my stopwatch. And I'll be like, how fast are they running the 200s? Like, <laughs> I get, like, I get, I totally geek out over it. Totally. And it's amazing to see it in person because you're like, my goodness, these women are just tearing it up and seeing it in person. Um, I know I'm a broken record here, but it's just awe-inspiring. It really is. And it goes to that, I, I mentioned it. I've mentioned it in some of my posts before, but capability and capacity. It's just amazing to see, um, I mean, those type, type of people. I mean, we all have a specific, you know, we can, we can improve our capabilities, but we're always trying to maximize our capacity. You know what I mean? And, and they clearly are doing it. <laughs> it's really neat to see it. Well said. Well, Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And this has been an absolute blast. It has. I've really enjoyed talking with you and um, kind of sharing my story. So there you go. Well, keep up the good work. And next time I'm in uh, the Dallas area, me, you, and Carlos, and whoever else, we should get together for a run. Sounds great. Thanks so much. All right, talk to you later, Jess. Thank you. Bye. Before we get going, I want to give a quick thank you to Jessica for coming on the show. It really was a pleasure to talk to you, and this was just a fascinating uh, conversation. Also, want to say thank you, of course, to our sponsor, Mercury Mile. As I said in the intro, uh, this is just a great service. It's not a subscription, and you can send back anything you don't like. And like I said in the middle of the interview, I'm getting great feedback on this service. That's the one thing that's been happening recently is that people who have used the Rambling Runner code are now starting to get their boxes and looking through them and trying them out. And I've gotten a lot of you know positive response of people saying, hey, thanks for putting me on to the product. And hey, that's always a nice thing. And it's always nice having sponsors who are helping out the show who not only I believe in, but that you do too. So thank you, Mercury Mile, and thank you to everyone who is listening. I really do appreciate it more than I can say, but I will say again, thank you very much. Have a great day and happy running.